certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. No sooner did the trial of the century begin, illness forced the prosecution to abandon today's closing arguments. Hello and welcome to day 86 of Claremont in Conversation. You're with Natalie Bongiolo, Alison Fan, and Tim Clark, who, as promised, uh, turned up at court today poised with his pencil sharpened. But Tim, you knew something was up when the prosecution team failed to show. We were all there again with uh, bated breath, waiting on uh, on the street corner to uh, to capture the images of uh, everyone ar- arriving. Uh, Mr. Jovic arrived in plenty of time, but uh, no one else. Um, f- and the, the clock was ticking down to ten o'clock, and we thought hmm, something's uh, still up here. Um, and as it was, it was delayed and delayed and delayed. We were told then we wouldn't be starting till two o'clock. Um, I think the, the, the you know the clear sign was that none of the families of the victims um, were in in the precinct by ten o'clock, which is always a pretty good um, indication of what's uh, what's occurring. And then, um, lo and behold, about half past one, um, we saw from our media bunker a little flash of Ms. Barbara Gallo up on a video link. So that gave us then the indication what might be happening at two o'clock, and that's what did happen. Um, Miss mm. Barbara Gallo was uh, was in her own little world, and I mean that in the in the nicest sense of the word, um, in a in a home office somewhere. Uh, uh, remote from the courtroom and that is the location that she started her closing submissions from so just another very very odd twist um, in, in what has already been an extraordinary tale. That's right it must have been such a stop start day and Ali just talk us about the tell us about the morning a little bit um, you know were there a lot of people there for court today? There was a a fantastic crowd there and they were all queuing up again and they were waiting patiently for hours and hours and hours outside the court because throughout the morning it was only the media that was allowed in. Uh, we weren't told anything, we were just the media sitting there and a, and a couple of the police. But outside the crowd waited very patiently until around about lunchtime they were told don't um, wait any longer, uh, go away. We are resuming at two o'clock and our first hint that it was happening was that all of the family started arriving uh, in the lunch hour. All of the um, family of the victims, the victims themselves, and I've never seen such a crowded courtroom as this afternoon. It was absolutely jam-packed. And so then we knew that um, it was going to go ahead because they, as Tim said, weren't there in the morning. But, um, of course, it didn't last very long because not only did um, Carmel break down with her coughing and spluttering, but also the video uh, broke down. And so they, they persevered for a while and then it just got too bad. It just couldn't continue. So when you found out that um, Ms. Barbagallo was going to be delivering her closing submission via video link, were both of you surprised that that would, would happen? I wasn't surprised. I was wondering why it didn't happen yesterday because without a jury and it's a judge alone, uh, although the flow is not the same as being able to deliver it, um, you know, in face, uh, I thought that the risk of adjourning this trial any longer but um, Justice Hall said no we've, we've gone so 
you know, long so far, three days is not going to matter anymore and I'd rather you deliver it because of the video breakdown. You couldn't really hear her last words and the defence were not happy with what she was saying uh, because they couldn't hear it and it was breaking up the whole time and she was coughing and so he said, look, another three days, I'd rather wait till she got better. It's not a jury trial. I'm the one that's going to consider what she's saying. Um, and it was very, very disjointed because of the both the video breakdown and her coughing. And Tim, um, how did Ms Barbagallo appear to you? Did she did she look unwell? Well, she didn't look too bad, but she certainly sounded unwell. Um, uh, and, I mean, that was quite clear from the information that had been sort of filtering around the court, shall I say. Um, mm. There was some indication to me this morning that there were some tests had been performed or done on Miss Barbara Gallo. Now, I, I, I haven't had it confirmed exactly what type of test, but I think we can yes. safely guess what they might have been. And they were awaiting results of those tests. But again, um, we, we, we know that they're not um, immediate, so it takes some time for test results to arrive. Hence the remote location this afternoon. And I think if I'm going to buy Miss Barbara Gallo a Christmas present this year, it will be a mug with uh, keep calm and carry on on it because <laughs> that is what she has done, that is what the judge has done and that is what she attempted to do this afternoon. But as Ali said, the only thing um, in, in, in worse health for Miss Barbara Gallo was the video link that she was using. <laughs> Eventually that broke down. Um, Justice Hall said, look, I appreciate your efforts, um, extolled the virtues of Miss Barbagallo's professionalism, but said this is, um, in, in his own inimitable style, less than optimal. So what we will do, can you give Miss um, Barbagallo a ring? Because five of her DPP colleagues were in court. Give her a ring, see what she wants to do. Um, if she wants to carry on, we will. But if she doesn't feel like she can, then we won't. And there's no pressure, no rush. Um, he literally said, we've got infinite amount of time to finish this case in terms of court scheduling and things. And that's what happened. The uh, the, the conversation was had. Um, Ms. Barragallo's colleague, Tara Payne, came back to court and said, look, uh, she appreciates um, your honour's understanding. And um, can we all come back on Monday and, and try again? So, so And even if she happened. summarises it again, he said, you can even go through the summary again yeah. on Monday, repeat stuff. Uh, start all over again, in other words, because it was such a stop-start. I mean, she got uh, quite a few points over, but then either she would start coughing or the video broke up and we weren't quite sure what she could hear, what she could see and and vice versa. Well, let's just, I mean, talk about some of those points that she did um, speak about before the video link failed. So with her opening statement, was there any, you know, we usually hear those uh, strong words that um, a prosecutor will open with. Uh, What were those, Tim? Yeah, so there was an opening flourish, if I can put it that way. And the way Miss Marbagallo framed it was that... um, it was similar to what we've talked about, actually, um, over the over the journey of the trial. In that, um, these were normal girls, um, women, doing a normal activity in a very normal, in fact, affluent suburb of Claremont, and then they came across a very abnormal thing, and that was the predator who took them. And Miss Barbagallo said their case, their contention is that abnormal, that predator was Mr. Edwards. 
um, which really rung true with a lot of what we've talked about in terms of Claremont being an affluent um, playground, really, um, in the mid-90s for so many people in Perth, and these three young women being so normal, um, so vibrant, and then having this terrible thing happen to them. And then Miss Barbara Gallo proceeded to try and sum up her summation, if you want, and gave us a menu of what she will be going through mm-hmm. um, if uh, when, when she gets to it. And there were basically 25 reasons um, that she says and the state says you can lay on top of each other one after the other to show that it is Mr. Edwards who is um, the Claremont serial killer. And But she was very um, keen to stress that you don't take them one by one. You don't take them as a chain in terms of if one of them is not proven, then the whole chain breaks and the case falls apart. She says you take them as a multiplicity. You take them as a as a as a as a layered thing on to one on top of the other on top of the other. And then when you when you finished putting those layers together, um, the the prosecution say she says is it is an unmistakable case against Mr. Edwards being the person that not only. Um, killed Jane and killed Kira and dumped their bodies, but also killed Sarah um, and dumped her body somewhere. Um, And of course, that body's never been found. Ali, was it how you uh, expected her closing submission to start? Well, yes, apart from all the the obvious glitches, but um, yes. Um, And then, of course, she elaborated by saying that the four key facts covered the DNA the clothing fibres, the car fibres and the propensity evidence um, from the Karakata and the Huntingdale sex attacks. And then she went further on by um, actually analysing and explaining each why she pointed those four headings out and went right through the technical side of it. And um, even so that ending up by saying that there is formidable proof that the Bradley Robert Edwards is the male perpetrator um, that's done all of these crimes mm-hmm. beyond reasonable doubt. Right. And with the DNA, I mean, I guess she would have started uh, alluding to the various uh, really important parts of the DNA. And I'm thinking, you know, um, AJM40 and AJM42, which we heard so mm-hmm. much about. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's that was, I mean, we've, we've said it all along, the DNA is the, is the really critical um, part of the evidence or certainly one of um, the, the main pieces of evidence and that's where Ms. Barbara Gallo did start off the main body of her closing submissions by going through um, recapping if you like um, how that DNA how that DNA came to be on Kira's fingernails and she says that's because it was a physical confrontation with Mr. Edwards very close to the time of her death um, she said the DNA was formidable proof as Ali's just said Re- uh, recap that 80 million times more likely to be him than anyone else um, figure that we heard about when when Dr Jonathan Whitaker was giving his evidence and then just about was just about to start um, going through the counter arguments if you like um, particularly in terms of contamination and the and the possibility that it that it the DNA had come to be on Kira's fingernails in the lab rather than uh, than um, on the night that she died. 
um and that's <laughs> that is when um the um the uh the gremlins mm. uh, did their did their best work or their worst work chewed through the wires in miss Gallo's computer and it um and, and it all went black um but they, i mean that the, the first hour of of a of a closing submission of this length gives you the roadmap of where it will go um and and that's what we have now um which was basically what we had before but it's always better to hear it from the person that's that's you know been so close to the case the closest to this prosecution case throughout the whole thing um and hopefully when we come back on monday um we will we will you know get to hear it um in full technical rather than uh, than on a, on a on a glitchy video screen yeah what was the reaction of people in the courtroom when the um when the trial was adjourned again well no they it was fine they were just filed out nobody said anything ironically um we saw more of um Carmel Barbagallo today via the video because normally we just see the back of her head <laughs> but today right. she was absolutely full and she looked a little flushed, I must admit, and she was reaching for tissues. You could tell she was not well. Um, obviously it was being done from a from a room away from the courts, but you did see her full face on for the first time. <laughs> she was doing her best to soldier was, on, yes. uh, but as we know, um, you know, we do all have to stay home and, and I guess Justice <laughs> Hall was probably not that happy with how it was rolling out given particularly the technolo- technology difficulties, I suspect. Yeah. Neither was well, the defence lawyer, I don't think either, because he shook <laughs> no, his head a few right. times when he couldn't yeah. see or hear what was going on. Yeah, I mean, as we've mentioned many times, that I mean, there are very clear signs on the front door of the court, that if you are showing any symptoms, um, that you are not to enter. Um, and that goes for everyone, including the prosecutor in the biggest case in WA. And um, I mean, we all hope that, you know, it's, it's nothing more serious than a, than a, than yes. a, than a heavy cold. Um, and, that, and that's been the indication. But you, in this climate, you could never be too careful. But I think it is testimony to Ms. Barbagallo's um, commitment to the trial, to the case, to the families, um, to everyone in, in, in the state of Western Australia that she was willing to see it through when she was clearly under the weather. Um, and it's and it, you know it, that that's an extraordinary thing to have to do. In, in any circumstance, when you're feeling on, on, on top of the world and and standing in the courtroom that you've spent the last 85 days in, but having to do it from a remote room, staring into a camera, yeah. completely remote from everyone, but knowing the numbers and the, the, the weight of the people in the courtroom that would be watching you, um, it would be, it, yeah, it would be a very nerve-wracking, very unnerving thing to have to do, I think, to just sit in the room, on in, in a room on your own, giving one of your careers, you know, um, the most important um, is, uh, closing arguments. And so... Um, and you would have to wonder, Tim, whether um, she had ever had to do that before. Very unlikely. Well, I know a lot of other lawyers in Perth have had to do a lot of um, work from home in the, in the last little while. Um mm. You know, there's, I think there's been a lot of um, bail applications made in pajamas with uh, kids and dogs and uh, other um, distractions in the background, but um, probably just not in the Claremont on, case. Nothing <laughs> on this in this scale, um, and you know the, the fact that Miss Barbara Gallo had her had her robes on. Um, even in the, in that remote room, I mean, obviously it's still part of a courtroom, even though it's not in the courtroom. So, 
yeah, I mean, everyone tried. Everyone has tried their best this week to try and get it moving. But um, Justice Hall, um, in his own style, said, "Look, we've all tried. We all know how important <laughs> it is. But there's there's no rush. We want to get it done properly. And so, a few more days uh, uh, to make sure that it is done properly is um, is not the end of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both for your time. A very short podcast today, and um, thank you for your company. Lots of false starts at the moment, but should everything align, we'll be back Monday, the fifteenth of June, for day eighty-seven of Claremont in Conversation. Bye for now. This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bonjolo, produced by Kate Ryan and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.